Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. I'm looking at Francis, but have you ever heard that saying, you need to grow up? Yeah. (laughs) I was writing this. Francis, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, But we've heard that, right? Hey, you you need to grow up. You you need to grow up. Um, Maybe we've heard it more than we're willing to admit. You need to grow up. Now, listen, if, if we can be honest, there are times when we do something foolish in our young age, in our not-so-young age, when we hear those inevitable words. What are they? I wish you would just grow up. As a matter of fact, for me, I'll never forget this because it's, it's etched in my mind. I was probably a kid, a preteen, anywhere between 11 and 13. I couldn't remember the exact date. And my best friend at the time, who lived right next door to me, um, would often help me act like a five-year-old. You know what I'm talking about? For some reason, from a preteen to, to being foolish and silly to where I would hear my sister with as much heart, she's my older sister, um, she's gone been with the Lord now, but she would say, I wish you would just grow up. And, and it wasn't like, would you just grow up? She was just more concerned that I act like a five-year-old when my friend came over and we were being silly and foolish that she liked me better when he wasn't around. And I think, well, I think a lot of times, you know, it's like, will you, will you just grow up? And thinking of growing up, I'm reminded of the photographer, you know, the one who goes and snaps pictures at all of the elementaries. And here was one, you know, we had a list of first graders in an elementary school and he began making small talk to his subjects to kind of put them at ease. And he'd be sitting there and he'd go, so what are you going to be when you grow up? He asked one little girl. Her response, tired. Now we can relate, can't we? I mean, if we're being honest, the very thing that my grandson and granddaughter fights is the very thing that I long for, a nap right? Hey, it's time for a nap. And they're like, now. And I'm like, yes. Right. And, and that's what we do. I mean, if you ask Joe Mabry, that's his, that's his go-to naps. Amen. Amen. I heard that. See, it's going to be on the radio. So we've heard that saying for the most part, when we're acting foolish or we're acting Childish. Now, husbands, I mean, wives, don't, don't nudge your husband and say, he's talking about you. I'm talking about all of us. Would you just grow up? Or maybe you've heard it this way. Have you ever heard this? Act your age, not your shoe size. Do you remember that? <laughs> Act your age, not your shoe. I'm like, oh, he's looking down, trying to figure out what size of shoes you wear. But here's the interpretation of that. You ready? It's very theological. Here's the interpretation. It says, stop behaving immaturely. Stop behaving. It's often said adults who are acting like overgrown children and to school-age children who are acting like overgrown toddlers. Act your age, not your shoe size. But it also gets a little bit deeper when someone tells you to grow up, right? From being a kid, when we enter that awkward stage where you're really not a kid anymore, but you're not an adult anymore, 
And you can remember saying, all I want to do is grow up. All I want to do is grow up. Remember, or I wish I was grown. I can't wait till I've grown up. Remember, the context in which this happens was probably curfew. Do you remember if you ever had a curfew? I don't know if any of you had a curfew. Okay? So you're a young man, a young woman, and your parents look at you and say, I want you home by 10. Right? Into which you mumble, 10? I'm just really good. My friends are just getting out at 10, right? And you would say, I really can't wait till I grow up and I can stay out as late as I want. Do you guys remember that? Now, what I found out later in life is when I finally grew up, now I don't want to be out at 10. I want to be in bed by 10. Right? You know the story, right? In your 20s, it's like somebody calls you up and says, hey, you want to go out? And you're like, yeah, what time? Hey, we're meeting at nine. All right, I'm there. You know what? I'll burn my apartment, whatever it means, right? You're just there. And then you get in your 30s and you're like, um, I think I'm going to drive my own. I'll meet you there, but I'm going to drive my own car so I can leave, right, Francis? And then 40s, you're like, I ain't going anywhere. Y'all go. What do you mean it's starting at nine? It's over at nine. I found it interesting that last week at the, we were invited to lunch at, at, uh, at an elderly, it's part of the at Raider Ranch there, and uh, it was on New Year's Eve. And uh, what I found interesting is their New Year's, New Year's Eve bash, their, their, their diamonds and their party was from five to eight. That's what I'm just saying. That was it. I mean, eight o'clock, that was midnight. Many of us can relate. Now, when we talk about growing up, we're often admonished to grow up. It usually means one of two things. It means our behavior. We're acting immaturely. We're being foolish. And sometimes it could mean physically. You know, you, you need to grow up. But keep in mind, getting, ooh, come on, getting older doesn't necessarily mean growing up. You need to keep that in mind. Why? Because what James is going to teach us today is not behavior, it's not physically. James is looking at us, and he wants us to grow spiritually, to grow spiritually. Think about it for just a minute. Oh, it's not. Wait, wait a minute. Stop. Are you saying that we can be immature spiritually? Yeah, he's wanting us to grow. He's wanting us to grow. Why would James want us to grow? Well, I think of the group of tourists visiting a picturesque village walked by an old man sitting beside the fence. In a rather patronizing way, one tourist asked him, were any great men born in this village? The old man replied, nope, only babies. Every person who's born again, guys, starts as a baby in Christ. Whether he's a convert at six or 60, that person, a new creation, will need to grow in the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? We have to grow. You see, there's nothing more sad than a 40-year-old Christian who's still a baby. See, God intends for us to grow and mature so that we can have a positive influence in the lives of others. 
until we learn to dig deep in the meat of the word of God for ourselves, we'll never grow. One of the things the Lord put on my heart was that we need to go deeper in his word. We need to talk about some of the hard issues. And that's what we're going to do. So I've entitled today's message, It's Time to Grow Up. And you go, why would you say that? Well, we discover in the book of James, it's a strong practical encouragement for us to grow. He wants us to grow. And if you're taking note, I would like you to uh, subtitle something like this. How can I be a strong Christian? How can I be a strong Christian? Let me draw your attention to this coming year. If we're being honest, guys, none of us knows what 2024 holds. I sat here in this pulpit last week, and I started out by saying, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. None of us. None of us is promised tomorrow. We've had a lot of spiritual attacks in our body. There's many that are sick. There are many in the hospital. There are many, all of these things. And so, and so I want to, in these last days, you go, whoa, 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 time out, Ben. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What makes you think Jesus is going to come back in 2024? Well, if he doesn't come back, I'm telling you right now, we're going to be in for a lot of spiritual attack. There's going to be a lot of demonic attacks on the body of Christ. Hey, I'm not sitting here going, hey, all right, let's go on. Let's get it. I'm saying it's going to happen and we have to be ready. And the only way I can be ready is to big, dig deep in his word and apply what God is doing in our hearts. So I want to be a strong Christian. Do you want to be a strong Christian? Warren Wearsby shares insights on how to be a strong Christian. He writes, quote, not everybody who grows old grows up. There's a vast difference between age and maturity. Ideally, the older we are, the more mature we should be. But too often, the ideal does not become real. The result is problems. Problems in our personal lives, in our homes, in our churches. As a pastor, he says, I see more problems in areas caused by immaturity than anything else. He goes on to say, quote, if Christians would just grow up, they would become victors instead of victims, end quote. Wow. Wow. He's going to admonish us to grow up. And so as we embark on a brand new series, Faith in Action, How to Become Strong Believers, we can expect a few things. If you're taking note, jot this down. James, number one, James is going to tell it like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Some of you in this room are straight shooters. You don't like to dance around trees. You don't like to beat around the bush. You're a straight, tell me how it is. Tell me what's going on. Other of us have feelings. And so we don't like it straight because we get our feelings hurt. Those of you that are laughing know some of your straight shooters. Tell me how it is. I don't care. Let's go. James is a straight shooter. He's going to tell it like it is. The problem with straight shooters is that, again, you, you don't know what to do with it. He's going to tell us that. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to pander us in hopes we come and, oh, you say, hey, 
Time to grow up. Time to grow up. He's not looking at you like you're acting maturely. He just wants to make sure that you're growing and maturing. You're growing and maturing. The second thing that we can jot down is this little epistle, you ready, is very interesting. It's like a mirror to our lives. It's like a mirror to our lives. Can you imagine that? Taking the word of God in this and mirroring it to your life. I think of the, I think of the native. It was a story told of a native who never knew what he looked like until he found a mirror. And he happened one day to find a mirror. He looks at it. You know what he did with it? He broke the mirror because he didn't like what he saw on the other side. I don't know about you, but I tend to avoid mirrors. Oh, oh, not the face part. This is the money here, right? This is the, this is the money maker here. But everything, everything else, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. I thought we were controlling the spillover. Now it's getting worse. Don't, um, mm, mm. Come on. I cannot be the only one that looks in the mirror and goes, oh, look inside, you know. And, and I mean, this is, but see, that's what James does. The word of God here, guys, it's a mirror into our lives. And so we're going to have to see, does our lives reflect what he's saying? Don't break the mirror. And the weeks to come as we study God's word together, don't break the mirror. You go, how do I break the mirror? You take the word of God, look, I'm not going to, nope, nope. Nope. I like me just the way I am. Nope. No, that's breaking the mirror. I want to see. God, where am I? Help me. Help me. And there's going to be some stuff in here. You go, ooh, that hurt. (laughs) Oh. Hmm. Look, jot this down. And I think it's important. There's a big difference between conviction of God's Holy Spirit and guilt from the enemy. The enemy will bring guilt, make you feel guilty, make you feel worthless. The devil will lie to you and tell you you are worthless, that God doesn't love you. Conviction is when God's Holy Spirit knocks and says, hey, this is an issue that we want to work for the glory of God. You know the thing about tests with God? The thing about tests is that if you don't pass the test, guess what? You get to take it again. You get to take it again. What? Lord, I'll just take the F and go on my way. No. No. Come here. Let's try this again. The third thing we see in the book of James is he writes to help us understand and to attain spiritual maturity. So the goal would be for all of us, myself included, to grow stronger in the book, grow maturely. So let's do this. In your mind, take a snapshot of of your spiritual maturity. Take a snapshot. Okay. What are some of the areas I struggle with? What are some of the things? And when we're done with the book of James, we're going to take another picture, and then we're going to compare. Wow. Uh, I used to struggle with X, Y, and Z. Whoa, I've grown. I've grown. I used to wake up in the morning, and the first thing I do is turn on the news. Now I spend time in the Word first. 
if I can filter all of that junk in a good way. Wow. Wow. I used to see trials and tribulations as, oh, no, not me again. Oh, why, Lord? Why me? Now I see him that I'm going to turn this trial into triumphs and see what God wants to do. That's what we want to see. So in your mind's eye, take a picture spiritually where you are. And then after chapter 5, we'll look again. Well, Ben, why would you say it's time to grow up? Well, listen, I want our church to grow so much in these next few months that we would make a huge impact in our city. See, I feel like our church, as small as it is, could be something so amazing, like Israel, small but powerful. And all it takes is one or two people. How do we make an impact? Well, let me share this story with you. It's not in my notes. It's completely free, but I think it's appropriate for here. If you trust God, he's going to do great and amazing things. Can I get an amen? How so? Yesterday, yesterday, you know, our beloved Fred Tim is in the hospital. He's got a blockage. And, and so I'm walking in the hospital and, and I see Ken and Nancy leaving and, oh, he's right there. Amen. And, and so I go in and Tim and I'm talking with Tim just a little bit. How you doing, brother? What's going on? You know, all of the stuff. And, and so then, then Bobby gets a ride from her neighbor's. Okay. I proceed to take some oil out and anoint him and pray while everyone's there, only to find out that their neighbors aren't really believers. And they're sort of standing like this, because they've never seen James acted out. If anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and the prayer of the righteous will save and so I anointed him and prayed. And I'm thinking, Lord, you're so good. Because, because the timing was so immaculate for God to be glorified. See, planting little seeds. But I didn't get up in the morning and go, okay, at 119, I'm going to go to the hospital. And I'm going to have to walk like five miles from where the car is to his room. So that's... But obedience to the Lord, you guys see what I'm saying? We're going to make an impact. And so we got to stay focused. Can you imagine what you and I can do if we'll surrender completely to him? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So here's my heart to yours. You ready? You've heard me say at Calvary Chapel, it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. You see, we've got to take both parts. If we say, it's okay to not be okay, everybody goes, amen! But I say, but it's not okay to stay that way. They're like, oh. I want us to grow up. I want us to grow up both in Numbers and Acts. Two great books in the Bible, Numbers and Acts. I want to see that happen at our church. I want us to grow spiritually. Becoming victorious in our walks with him. That's what I want to see. So, with that as our intro, let's jump into our text. Notice the verse one with me. James writes, James, a bondservant of God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. I guess it was not put up there. There we go. Thank you. So, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, we have to do some work in order to understand and go deeper. You go, what do you mean? Back in the ancient world, guys, when a letter was written, it would send it with who it was from first and who it was for second. We don't do that today, right? If you were to happen to get a letter in the mail, a rare occasion, I know, but if you were happy to get a letter, the first thing you do is you look to see who it's from. And the first thing you do is you'll open it up. If there's not one return address, you'll go to the end of the letter and see who it's from. Oh, who's writing me? And then you'll go back and you'll read the letter. Back in this day, that's not how it happens. The first thing we see is this is from who? James. But you've got to ask yourself a question. What James? What James? Okay, who, who, who is this? Well, see, there are several James, and, and, and I want to do our due diligence. James, there's a James called the brother of John and son of De- Zebedee, the first apostle to be martyred. He was also known as James the last. So this is the first one. That would be found in Matthew 10, Mark 15, or Acts chapter 2. Well, then you have another James, guys. It was James, the son of Alphaeus. James, the father of the other apostle, Luke 6.16, says Judas, the son of James. So you have several James. So you've got to go, what James is this? Through reliable sources assigns this book to one called James the Just. James the Just. He is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He's also brother to Jude who led the church in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. This is just a side note to grasp. Jesus was born by Mary who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin. Amen? That's why we celebrate. Listen, there are some things that we can disagree about, but that's a doctrine that we don't disagree about. We believe in the virgin birth. You go, amen. Amen. But you need to understand something a little bit about Mary. She was then married to Joseph after she gave birth to Jesus. Listen, ready? She continued in normal marital relations. Now, as I sat there and I studied, you need to know that Mary had children, other children, by Joseph. She was first impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Joseph didn't touch her till after Jesus was born. Once Jesus was born, they continued on normal. As a matter of fact, jot this down. Matthew 13 and 55 says this. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brothers, James, Joses, Simon, and Judas. Now, one of the things you need to know is I looked up the Greek word for brothers. You want to know what it means? Brothers. Brothers from the same mother. You go, no, Ben, that, of course. No, 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 here's why. Because you have the Catholic Church, and I looked it up today, The Catholic Church um, believes in the perpetual virginity of Mary, that Mary never had any other sexual relations, that she didn't have any kids, and that James, Josie, Simon, and Judas were his cousins that we would call brothers. 
And I looked up the word brothers, and it means brothers. He had brothers. Now, why would they do that? Why would the Catholic Church do that? Well, because they want to deify Mary and have her ascend into heaven. Yes, guys, Mary is blessed among women, but you need to know that after Jesus was born, she continued in normal relationship. Now, I want you to think for just a moment what would happen if all of a sudden, here's Joseph, Joseph being a just man, is fully engaged and in love with Mary, Mary being used by God, and all of a sudden, God shows up and says, hey, John, you, or Joseph, you can't have sex with your wife. Hey, but good luck to you. You know, well, Ben, supernaturally God can do that, but I don't think that's who God is. God says, man, isn't that amazing? So, James here, he's the half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus, right? And, and, and I think about James. Isn't that a funny thing? Are any of you here, right, like a second, like Jesus would be the older brother, you would be the younger brother or the younger sister, like you have older siblings? Can you imagine? You used to follow around, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Jesus, can you imagine? James, why can't you be more like your older brother, Jesus? I mean, poor James got a bad rap, don't you think? WWJD, what would James do? He's like, uh-uh, that's not me. That's not me. We're always, I mean, listen, we're always under the limelight of our older siblings, but man, Jesus was like God. Hey, man, why can't you be more like God? Oh, sorry. Do you, realize, do you realize, guys, do you realize that there was a time when even his brothers didn't believe in him? This was only after the resurrection that, that James became a believer. And then later, now, now here, grasp this, that he was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. You go, okay, okay. But before I give you some more info on James, I want to take a moment to encourage you. Why? Because I was sitting down thinking about James. James is growing up in a household. He's got brothers. He's got sisters. James is developing his own personality. He understands he can't be more like his brother, Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at the time, they knew Jesus. He, he wasn't the same as us. He, but there's something that he, okay. But he's still growing up that way. You go, okay, so what's the encouragement? You ready? Jot this down. This is great stuff. Boy, I want you to know that God doesn't waste time. You go, what, 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 I'm sorry, what do you mean? Think about all those years James was living with Jesus, although he didn't believe in him, they were not wasted. They were not wasted. When James, after the resurrection, went, I believe, the Holy Spirit brought back all the memories, all the late nights with Yahshua, and it prepared him to be the leader in the church of Jerusalem. And you go, Ben, what's, what, what, what's the point? You ready? Here's the point for you. All your life, God has been with you. He's walked with you, and nothing in your life has been wasted. You need to know that. Oh, well, I was a real mess before I became a Christian. I was really... <clears throat> but you say, God has used all of that. Why? I think of, I think of Saul. 
right? Do you remember Saul, who later became Paul? Saul was zealous. He was just intelligent, whatever personality he had. And then he gets saved, and God goes, oh, no, 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 you can't be like that anymore. You're going to be different. No, he took everything that he learned and who he was, and he used it for his glory. Why? Listen, God doesn't waste time. He hasn't wasted time on your life. You think some of the years that you lived have been wasted. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. Here's what he's saying. You ready? Today, it's time for you to move forward in your giftings. The same personality, the same outgoing, the same bubbly. Some of you are really, really quiet, introverted. And some of you are very loud. Very loud. And that's your personality. You know what I say? Praise God. Come on, give me a praise God. Why? Because how boring would it be if we were all the same? We're all the same. There's a big difference between me and Nathalie. You won't believe this, but I am an introvert. You go, no, you're not. I am. If I go out to an outing, it's, just, it's like me to just stand there and watch people. And, but Nathalie, she'll make friends with anybody. She is an extrovert. Now, here's the thing. I get charged by you guys. I love coming in and all that. But I'll tell you, right about 2 o'clock, I go, I've had enough of people. That's an introvert. I've had, let me, that, okay, I need to recharge alone, right? Plug me in. Whoa, oh, I hit my thing, sorry. I hit my pack. Don't hit your pack. Scared me to death, thought the rapture happened. Hey, bro. If Santos is still here, we're all good, okay. But God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste our introvert part or our extrovert part. But when we get saved, he's going to use that for his glory. I see that in James. You and I might have written off James early on. You don't believe? Come on, that's Jesus. Look at him. Come on. Come on. I mean, if you were a disciple, you'd be like, you know, come on. His brothers don't even believe in him. (laughs) No. God doesn't waste anything. Don't waste anything. Well, back in James, okay? What does the early church tell us, guys, about James? Well, as you can see in the first verse, here's what I want you to jot down. James is humble. Humble. Why? He calls himself a bondservant of God. Bondservant of God. You go, well, Ben, why, why was he humble? Why was he humble? Well, I want you to see this and jot this down. He never names drop for clout or authority. He's not like, hey, <laughs> James. I grew up with Jesus. You know, G, right? Big J, A. God? <laughs> yeah. I used to watch Jesus in the mirror, man. We were, we were, he never drops that, but we do, don't we? Sometimes we're like, hey, you, you know Francis? I know Francis. Fran- you know Francis? Played football, yeah. <laughs> Got his autograph right here, man. But he doesn't. He's humble. He says, I'm a bondservant of God. And notice, the Lord Jesus. How would you start your letter? Hey, this is James. I'm Jesus' little brother. I watched him. I followed. He doesn't. He doesn't. Why? Because he's humble. He's humble. The second thing that you need to you need to jot this down 
and I want our church to be, James was a man of prayer. Church history says that James was such a man of prayer that his knees had large, large or thick, large calluses, making him look like camel knees. That was his actual nickname. He was old camel knees. I want you in your mind for just a half second, think about that day, and there would be James, and you'd go, oh, who's that? Well, that's James. Why? He's on his knees praying. Oh, that's old camel knees over there. <laughs> Why do you call them camel knees? Right? The, the kids nowadays have the tear right here on the knees, right, to look cool. James probably wore out his pants on his knees. Why? Well, here's the point. We need to be men and women of prayer. And we need to understand it's worship and it's a privilege to pray to God. You see, sometimes in prayer, we come and we, we, we just expect that answer to be right then. But prayer is coming with worship and saying, I'm talking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Prayer. When we say to somebody, I'm going to pray for you, do you pray? You go, yeah, I get busy. Then pray for them right there. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. Let's, let's, be, let's be men of women of prayer like James. Prayer. I don't know how to pray. Just talk to God. Talk to God. Talk to God how you would, in the car, invite him on your drive. Lord, will you sit right there? Man, I've got some issues, man. Lord, did you see that person cut out in front of me? Go out there and... No, I'm sorry. Never mind, Lord. Just don't, We're okay. But you're praying. You're praying. But James also, number three, was a man of faith. James was martyred in Jerusalem after being pushed from a high point in the temple. The fall didn't kill him, and so he was beaten to death on the ground while he prayed for his attackers. Okay? Right there, I'm out. Okay, you push me off the stage, I'm going to fight you. James is praying for his attackers. So if the book of James, guys, is a mirror to our lives, let me quickly ask, does your life look like James? Are you walking in humility? Are you a man or woman of prayer? Are you a man or woman of faith? That's it. I'm breaking the mirror. No, don't break the mirror. We're going to get there. But I want to see how my life is this. So who is James writing to? Well, who's the audience? Jot this down. The 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. The 12 tribes is a Jewish figure of speech that sometimes refers to the Jewish people as a whole. So not only is he saying to the 12 tribes scattered, he's saying this could be to all the Jewish brethren and all the Jewish, all the Christians. Now, Joe, James probably wrote this letter before the Gentiles were brought into the church or even before Gentiles, you know, Christians emerged in any significant number. So when he says the 12 tribes, he's probably writing to Jewish people. But here's what you would say. This letter applies to all of us, to all of us. In many ways, we listen and we learn from the book of James because it's the teachings of Jesus. And get this, 
There are 15 allusions to the Sermon on the Mount by James. 15. A man who is, uh, the, a man who is teachings of Jesus very well and took it seriously enough to write this letter. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So back in our story, James chapter 1 says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the audience, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, here's the letter. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Your attention, please. What does James say? Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So this is the part that James wants to teach us. How do we become a strong Christian? Ready? Jot this down. So important you take notes. This is how we turn trials into triumphs. Trials into triumphs. In order to do that, we have to obey three imperatives. Now, there's going to be one next week, but let me give you the three here. Stay tuned, guys. Again, taking notes. You got to take notes because I'm going to give you three. What are they? He says, first and foremost, my brethren, here's the word, count it, count, count. You go, okay, what do I do? Write one, count, what, what is it? We must have a joyful attitude, a joyful attitude. Now, my friend Joe Mabry, I didn't ask for his permission, but my poor friend Joe Mabry probably got bit by a brown recluse the other day. He is now our resident Spider-Man. No powers, but nonetheless, this is a trial, Mr. Joe. And the word of God declares to you, count it. Um, have a joyful... Now, I could see him going in. Hey, Beverly, look, I got bit. It's going to be a bummer. Hey, let's have a party. Everybody arosas. That's not what Joe did. That's not what it means. But it's the attitude behind the certain trials. Why? Because then he uses the second imperative, knowing. Knowing. We must have an understanding mind. Understanding mind. And then the third imperative is let, right? You see that? But let patience, that must mean we, have, we must have a surrendered will. So we must have a joyful attitude. Well, let's unpack it, right? Let's unpack the teaching, what James is saying. My brethren, family, hey, everyone, look at me. It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Christian, tune in. We're going to go deeper. James tells us to count it all joy. So my first question is how? How and why? How come Joe Mabry and many of you are not jumping around when you're on your way to the ER with chest pains or, or spider bite or, or, or your mother-in-law has had an epi- whatever it might be, whatever stresses you out. Why are we not? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. We, we, we've got to understand. We've got to count it. What does it mean? Here, jot this down. Outlook determines outcome. Attitude determines action. Whenever there's a trial in my life, I, being honest, 
tend to back up, shut down, and just try to figure it out myself. I want to have a better attitude. I want to grow deeper. Why? Because outlook determines outcome. Now, my friend Joe Mabry, was that a spiritual attack that this brown recluse said, ah, you wait, he's going to stick his arm in here. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Just hold on. Here he comes. It was just a spider bite that turned into and could be. We don't know. My friend Tim, who's in the hospital, you guys know him. Could that be, oh, what's going on? What's the outlook? Well, nobody wants to be in the hospital. Nobody wants to be there with tubes and so forth and all this stuff. But, but, but James says, okay, guys, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. So what do I do? Everybody say count. Let's say it again. Because he's wanting us to count. You go, what does it mean? What does it mean? It's a financial term that means to, to evaluate. To evaluate. When James says, count it all joy, he encourages his readers to evaluate the way they look at trials. In other words, take a step back. He calls us believers to develop new and improved attitude that consider trials from God's perspective. Okay, God, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with this? I'm on my way to the hospital. Maybe there's somebody at the hospital that needs to hear about Jesus. Desperately. It's the attitude. Now, can we be honest in church? A lot of times when trials happen to me, it's woe is me. Look at me. Oh, me. But, but James is telling us and he's exhorting us to go, okay, let's not look at me. Let's look at what God, how, would God, how does God see this? First and foremost, aren't we, aren't we surprised that God's not surprised? God, don't, don't you see this? God, don't you see? Hey. No, he, he knows. He knows. A typical trial, guys, is not an occasion for joy. I get that. He's not asking you to go skipping through life going, yay, I got COVID. You know, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying, and he's suggesting, guys, he says, man, listen. I understand that difficult trials are difficult and painful, but I also understand that they exist for a purpose. Trials have a potential of producing something good in us, and for this reason, there's an opportunity to express joy. To express joy. It's the way we look at it. A big part of maturing in God is perspective, it's attitude. It's watching God work in a way that's different than we're used to here on earth. It doesn't mean we have to walk around smiling and laughing in the midst of a trial, but it honestly means surrendering our will to the greater good of the trial. It's not fun, but it often pays great dividends. Great dividends. One thing before we move on, and, and this is important. Why? I want you to look at it again. He says, my brethren, count it. All joy. What's that next word? When? 
You guys see it? Look at your Bible. My brethren, count on all joy when? Now, I wish we could replace it with if, but the point is, is that it's, not an, it's not an if, it's a when. Christian, you ready? Be expecting them. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. Now, now listen, the Greek word here is um, periosomos, okay, periosomos, and it refers to an unwelcomed or unexpected experience. James may be referring to trials in general or to specific hardships such as persecution, sickness, and poverty, but he's saying they're coming. They're coming. We should expect them. Expect the unexpected, Christian. Expect it. Now, I am admonishing me as much as you because I do not like trials. Although they produce the greater good, I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't want to go through a trial or a tribulation. I don't want to go through heartache. I would like everything to stay the same. But the Lord says, you're, you're going to have them. Why? Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay, I think every one of us in this room at one time or another said, Lord, give me patience. Come on. You know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, so guess what? I'm going to send trials your way. Uh-uh. I asked for patience, not trials. Well, the best way to get patience Because, see, the word knowing means you're going to have an understanding mind. It produces something in you. It produces patience. How many of you have the gift of impatient? The gift of impatient. Thank you. There's two. Only two. Yeah, thank you. We have that gift. We're just impatient about everything. I'm not even going to look at you. I get to see all perspectives like... Some of us have the gift of impatience, right? We're just, listen, if, if I tell you to be there at 4, you need to be there at 3.30. <laughs> mean, 4 means 3.30. We have that gift. Some of you have the gift of patience, and that bugs us. When you have the gift of patience and you're like, it'll be fine, you're like, no, it won't, don't get here. <laughs> you're like, eh, it's all good. God has it under control, and you're like, but it's going to produce something in us. And the Greek word is hupomone, hupomone. And it means, it means that, that patient endurance. Express a growing determination in the face of adversity based on hope. It's just patience. It's going to produce that. Don't we want that? Okay, so here's my question. Do we want the trials now to help us grow or do we want to face the greater trials later without patience? Oh, that's a hard one, Pastor. That's a hard one. I'll take, I'll take patience for a hundred now, Alex, and so that way, when I, when I grow later, I'll have the patience to endure some of the hard things. Okay, I don't, I don't want to be weird or or nothing. You go, Ben. You already are. I know, but I want to be weird, but. I just wonder for a second, in your mind, I want you to think, what would be the hardest thing that you could, that you would, you would go through? What would be the hardest thing? You go, oh, loss of a loved one. 
oh, this or that. Yeah, that's, see, some of the, we don't like to think about that stuff, so stop thinking right now. But I, I want to be so, so, man, my, my foundation in God is so deep that I can walk through anything he gives me with the hope in Jesus Christ. Knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces that hoopamona. You're going to stick to it. You're going to stay. Listen, in the year 2024 and the years to come, let me let you in on some of Satan's tactics. You ready? He wants to kill and to rob and to destroy us believers. He can't keep us from going to heaven. We're secure in Christ. But he wants to do his very best. And so if we know that we have that patience, that endurance, if I want to get my eyes off the enemy and I want to get my eyes onto the Lord, into the Lord. It was Peter who wrote, check this out, instead, be very glad, 1 Peter 4.13, he says, instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing the glory when it's revealed to all the world. Question, when we get to heaven and some of the trials that you went through were for somebody else, what kind of joy are you going to have then? Oh, I didn't realize that I was going through that. Oh, I was a baby during that trial. Oh, my gosh, but I didn't see the fruit it produced. It produced, you're here because... Oh, yes, I was a nurse at the ER, and I was, on the, I was on a crisis of faith, and I saw you, and you came in, and you told me you were a believer, and I thought, wow. You guys know this, right? You guys know, in our lives, sometimes we think, it, we, think we have it rough until we hear about somebody else who has it worse, and you're like, what am I complaining about? I got it good. I got it good. Just me? All of us, right? Well, right? But help me out here. Sometimes I go, Lord, what am I complaining? <sighs> I've got it. Bless the Lord almost. And and not more than a few days later, I'm whining again. That should be a song. I'm whining again. Oh Lord. Okay, Lord. I want to see you do this. So here in verse 3, guys, James gives us the beginning of his answer to why God would ask us to do that, to count it all, to know. In short, it's about faith. It's about trusting God. God wants us to respond to trials, to do the hard things in our lives in a way that demonstrates our trust in him, our trust in him. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So he says, let it grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, he says, you will be perfect and complete, not needing anything. Those, okay, you ready? Those who are suffering should have joy. You go, what does that mean? To seek a joyful attitude. To seek a joyful attitude. Why? Because trials serve as a path to Christian maturity. Complete, immature individuals show integrity, single-minded devotion to God, 
and they're characterized by godliness. Godliness. If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word for let because right next to it, you can write surrendered will. Surrendered will. Because in order to have faith to produce patience, we have to surrender to his will. We have to surrender. Again, Pastor Warren writes, God cannot build our character without our cooperation. If we resist him, then he chastens us into submission. But if we submit to him, then we can accomplish his work. He is not satisfied with halfway job. God wants a perfect work. He wants the finished product that is mature and complete. You go, Ben, what is he saying? It's time to grow up, church. It's time to grow up. And you go, okay, okay, I got that. So what does that look like practically for me? What does that look like for me? You ready? Jot this down. Number one, you're engaging more and more into the Bible. You're engaging more and more into the Word of God. You're jumping into God's Word. That's what it looks like. To grow up, you're in God's Word more. It's like when you go out to eat and you go to an all-you-can-eat place And you know what? When you just eat all the food you want, you walk out of there full. God's word is a little bit different. It means the more you eat, the the actual hungrier you get. We walk out of a golden corral or whatever, and we're like, oh, I'm never eating again. But when it comes to God's word, you go, oh, I'm so full, but I'm still hungry. That's what it looks like. Number two, you're obeying and denying self. You're obeying. Guys, ready? Ready? Here, this is so good, guys. Obedience is honor towards God. Obedience is honoring God. It's not a obedience is not a pathway to salvation. You're already saved. It's 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 showing honor to God. But you're also denying self. Number three, if you're mature, if you're growing spiritually, you're serving God and serving others. You're serving God and serving others. Our attitude as as growing believers is not, ah, it's like, what can I do for the Lord? What do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? And we got to be careful because we go, well, you know what? They asked me to work in children's ministry. Those kids are not my gifting. You can do it for a season without being gifted. But the hard attitude is, am I willing? What what, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? I'm, I'm here to do it. Number four, you're sharing Jesus with everyone you meet. How can the talk of playoffs and the Dallas Cowboys and football turn into Jesus? Very easy, because we're constantly sharing Jesus. I know some of those players on the Dallas Cowboys and whatever team you like are Christians and believers. We can start with that. Hey, did you know? Wow. Wow. So what happens? What happens in Lubbock, Texas when you share Jesus? Well, me being an evangelist, I found out pretty quickly all of Lubbock saved. So I was good. You go, what do you mean? No, no, no. I would go up and I'd ask people, hey, so do you know? Oh, yeah, I go to this church and this. Oh, okay. 
But what I found was, and I needed to change my approach because, because I was no longer, okay, I got to be careful how I say this because I love my city. I was no longer trying to reach the, the prodigal, the younger son. I'm, I'm trying to reach the older brother. And so in, in New Mexico, it's black or white. You're, you're reaching the, 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 the younger. You're reaching the prodigal. You're reaching the druggie. You're reaching, in love, it's a little bit different. So what I found is when somebody says, man, I'm a believer, well, then, then we should have fellowship with each other. And, and, and let me just say this. You ready? There's only one church in Lubbock. There's only one. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just happen to meet in different barns. But if you're truly born again, and I'm truly born again, then we have fellowship. We should be brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's how we should be. And we don't need to sit there, well, I go to this church. I go to the, well, amen, praise God. But do you know Jesus? Tell me what he's, tell me what he's saying. to what, what are you learning today? What are you learning? I want to challenge you guys this week. This week, find somebody that you love. Don't, don't be obnoxious about it, but I used to do this. I used to go into the, to the bank and, and, and drop our deposit, and I'd always ask the teller, hey, did you go to church? Oh, we went. How was it? What did you learn? That's all I had. What did you learn? We should be learning. We should be growing. Number five. A sign of great maturity is you're seeking God for everything. You're seeking God. You're seeking God when it comes to a mate. You're seeking God when you're going to buy a house. You're seeking God when you're going to uh, purchase a vehicle. You're seeking God in every situation. That's great maturity. That's great maturity. Practically, you're in the word of God. You're obeying. You're praying. You're serving. You're sharing and you're seeking. That's what it should look like. And that's just the beginning. So as we come to a close and we ponder uh, the message this morning, and we begin to prepare our hearts for communion, this is a great start to a new growth plan, a celebration. Now, I never, ever want to leave a gathering without giving you an opportunity to surrender to God. Now, you have to check your own hearts. But I want to give you an invitation to the Lord. So wherever you are today, if you've never given your life to God, or you're backslidden, then today's your day. You go, what do I have to do, Pastor? In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. We love you here. We're glad you're here. We want to see you in heaven, but you have to make that commitment. God will never force his love and his will on you. So as we go to prayer, I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come back up. In a minute, I'm going to ask the, the ushers to come up, but let's, 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 let's pay very close attention. If you're here today and you search your heart, you go, I'm not sure if I'm right with God. Pastor, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven tonight. I'm hoping and I'm praying that I will, but I'm I'm really I'm really not sure. And as a matter of fact, Ben, I feel like I'm miles away from God. Miles. 
And if God were to look at my heart, he would see that I'm just going through the motions. But you know what, Ben? Today, you were saying some things, and God began to speak to my heart, and I realized that I'm not right with God. What do I have to do? Well, in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be right with God. God doesn't force that God doesn't force his love on you. He stands with his arms open wide and he says, Hey, listen, I want to come in and I want to be your God. I want to walk with you. I want to secure, I want, I want your name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But you've got to do something. What do I got to do? You got to believe. You got to stand. You got to say yes to me. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I wonder if there's anyone here watching on Facebook, if there's anybody here on the internet. Or maybe you're listening to this on the radio and you're saying, Ben, I'm not right with God today. But I want to be. I want to I go to heaven. I want to be right. I want him to walk with me every single day. I want new life in Christ and I want to grow in my spiritual walk. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit and God is knocking on your heart, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be real with God and I want you to lift up your hand and say, Pastor Ben, pray for me. I want Jesus to come into my heart. God bless you, sister. Anyone else? I want to be right with God. I'm just going to pray for you. Lift up your hand. If If you're backslidden from God, if you're not in a right relationship, if you actually have doubts of where you would go if you died, today's your day. I have some great news. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Just say yes. Well, Ben, 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 why do I have to raise my hand? Because I want God to see your heart today between you and the Lord. Anyone else? If you're watching online, just lift up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I thank you for these hands. Lord, you see their hearts. We just want to be sure. We just want to be right with you. We just want to know, God, that we want to grow in you. So I pray for these beautiful Christians that raise their hand that say yes to you. And I say they would pray just a prayer of belief that say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and be my God and be my Savior and be my friend. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried, and on the third day, you resurrected. I believe you ascended to heaven. I believe you're there now. And I believe you sent your Holy Spirit, and I feel him right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Take away the guilt and the shame. I choose to follow you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.